My name is Betty Schrag, and I'm Administrative Assistant to the President, and I'm very privileged this morning to introduce the Speaker of the Day, my boss, Jim Brenneman. Well, so by now you've heard all about Jim's academic and theological accomplishments, so I, I will not go into that. And you may wonder, what exactly does the President do all day? So. Just what has President Brenneman been doing since he took office July 1st, 2006? Well, in his first year as president, he has spoken, he will have spoken to over 10,000 people in all those different categories. And he will have spoken at 27 donor alumni events and officially welcomed many people on campus and done on-campus events, including playing the role of Santa with Vic Coop as first elf, baked a cake for Susie's Cakewalk, all the other events you see listed. He has led, he will have led three board of directors meetings, held hundreds of meetings in his office, including meeting with student senate and record staff. So I'm here to give you a little glimpse of the man behind the coat and tie, or the coat and the turtleneck, as you see this morning. And by the way, he said he has worn a coat and tie more in the last year than he has in the past 26 years. So here are a few little-known personal facts about Jim Brenneman. Jim likes any kind of berry pie. And he doesn't usually drink coffee, but he will frequently walk into the office holding a huge cup of Coke first thing in the morning, one of those big gulps from 7-Eleven. And he calls his presidential medallion, the thing that he wore at the inauguration, his bling bling. Uh, he and Terry have painted hundreds of square feet of trim and walls during the Christmas break. He has an estimated 1,200 books in his office and many more still packed away, he said. He's had more photo shoots in the last year than he has in a lifetime, and he does not like photo shoots. He has a great sense of humor and is not afraid to laugh at himself. And I don't think he's quite realized the cultural leap from being pastor in Pasadena to president of a small college in northern Indiana for example, um, I found out, he doesn't even know I know this, that he was spotted going around the arms of a railroad crossing here in Goshen. Um, and I wonder, is there a fine pending on that yet? <laughs> and you may ask, is he spontaneous or structured? Yes. Is he an academic or a theologian? Yes. Is he more energized by preaching, meeting with donors, alums, faculty and staff, or students? Yes. I will say that when Jim returned from traveling with the men's course to the West Coast, he remarked about how energized he was by being with the students and how much he enjoyed that. So it is you, the students, that give him the energy to do all the things that you saw listed on that PowerPoint on behalf of Goshen College. So help me welcome your president, Jim Brenneman. Hi. Uh, there are moles out there, I think, that <laughs> I am getting used to living in a glass box, at any rate. 
I'll be careful about how I drive from now on, for sure. Uh, I am energized by being with you all again this morning, as I am so much of the time that I get a chance to be with you, and I look forward to more times in the future. Next year, I hope to teach a class, and, and there'll be other opportunities as well. Uh, for a year and a summer while I was a student at Goshen College, I was a gardener at Greencroft Retirement Homes, as it was called then. I worked alongside an 86-year-old master gardener, and I uh, remember him saying something to me to the effect at one point that he could not walk across the backyard without tripping over an epiphany. The last few weeks, while I was in our backyard, I tripped over an epiphany. I discovered what he meant by the, those words. In various flower beds in our, in our home, um, there suddenly, uh, sort of spontaneously coming up from the ground all around were rows of daffodils, freesias, and tulips uh, beginning to blossom. This was a wonderful surprise to me since we had moved into our house in the fall after everything was pretty much dead and gone. And clearly, it became apparent to me that the previous owners had planted these bulbs in beautiful patterns long before we had ever arrived there. I understood then the introduction that E.B. White, he's the author of Charlotte's Web, his, uh, he wrote an introduction to his wife's uh, uh, book of essays. Her name's Catherine. The essays were called Onward and Upward in the Garden. She wrote this just before she passed away. He describes how on a cloudy and raw and windy October day, his 88-year-old wife, Catherine, did what she had done for some 50 years. That is, she went out into her garden with an old uh, uh, hat on and uh, some old clothes, and she would sit there with a diagram a clipboard, and hour after hour, she would take new bulbs out of packages and old bulbs out of a basket that she carried with her, and she would bury one bulb here and another there according to this wonderful diagram that she had. She was, he said, completely absorbed by the implausible notion that there would yet be another spring, almost oblivious to the ending of her own days before then before the next spring. Still, she sat there with her detailed chart under those dark skies in the dying October, calmly, what he said, plotting the resurrection. That phrase, plotting the resurrection, came to my mind again this Easter time. What an epiphany. In this Easter season, my mind immediately jumped to the setting of the Apostle John's account of the resurrection which happened in the garden. The title of Catherine White's essays aptly described St. John's account, Onward and Upward in the Garden. You may recall the text suggests that Mary thought the resurrected Jesus was, in fact, the gardener. How appropriate then, how utterly natural, how fitting to consider the Easter story as that of God plotting the resurrection, plotting the future. From a gardener's perspective, the resurrection isn't all that puzzling. 
The resurrection of Jesus is the climax of a long line of resurrections plotted by God since the beginning of time in that first garden called Eden. There God plotted a new creation out of the primordial chaos, as the story account goes. Year after year, since then, like 88-year-old Catherine, God put on God's shabby old raincoat, pulled the little round wolf hat over her aging gray head, and hobbled to the garden plot on a blustery fall day. There hunched over a basket full of bulbs, with a clipboard in her hand, God plots these resurrections that surely come each spring of our lives. A straightforward reading of Older Testament narratives suggests that God has been plotting resurrections for a long, long, long time. Clipboard in hand, God plotted seeds of new birth in old man Abraham and his elderly wife, Sarah. Isaac was born. God sowed seeds of liberation way down in Egypt land. Former slaves broke free to everlasting joy. When Israel and Judah went as captives first to Assyria and then to Babylon, God plotted their resurrection out of the ash heaps of exile. The repeated mantra of the prophet Isaiah reeks of resurrection. Isaiah writes, new things I now declare to you, old things are passed away, behold, I make all things new. You see, God has been plotting resurrection gardens over and over again, all over the world since the beginning of time. So when God plotted Christ in a tomb for three days, only to break through the crust of death to a new and resurrected life, on the one hand, it was merely a repeat of a cycle of death, resurrection, that has gone on year after year, season after season. On the other hand, insofar as we Christians anyway, believe that Christ is the unique revelation of God, then the epiphany that happens in the Gospels account of Christ's resurrection might very well be the verification once again that God's will and purpose has always been to bring new life out of death. As Bono, the lead singer in the rock group U2 puts it, the resurrection is that moment in time when the universe exploded in one man's life. Easter, I would say, is our supernova, a revelatory blast to our dulled senses of Isaiah's cry in the wilderness of our souls. The old is passing away. Behold, God makes all things new. Now, I don't want to spend the precious few minutes that we have this morning defending the possibility of the resurrection. Even those who may not believe, those who, not, who do not yet believe, surely recognize the cycle of death and resurrection deeply embodied in nature. They, of course, would argue that we who believe in the resurrection of Christ and others have merely projected this natural cycle 
of death and life onto the universe as a wish fulfillment. Perhaps, perhaps not. Both our belief and unbelief depend on prior commitments, faith commitments, if you will, confessional commitments that shape the conclusions we make about life and death, death and resurrection. Presumably, if, if there is a God, then by definition, God would be capable of raising Jesus from the dead or anyone else for that matter. From such a standpoint, the death and resurrection cycles of nature become evidence of the truth of the resurrection itself and not mere projections. These are questions of faith, of course, both for the believer and for the unbeliever. Far be it from me today to mount this podium and try to elucidate the fine points of the resurrection to you. God forbid that I try to unravel the mystery of that event until your heads swim with explanations so that, in the end, none of you see the tombstone crumble before your eye nor witness the resurrected Christ in your own lives. What I can do is invite you to the garden of Mary Magdalene's testimony, where she discovered the gardener Christ alive and well. What I can do is invite you to consider what scripture has always revealed to be true about God. God has been plotting resurrections, Christ's, yours, mine, and ours for a long, long time. Can a ruined life be restored? Yes. Can sinful people be forgiven? Yes. Dare we hope for a new beginning, whatever our flawed histories or our failures are this morning? Yes. There's been a lot of plotting going on here in the garden called Goshen College as well. Some of you arrived four years ago, others of us since. Some of you even many years before that. I never knew the seeds planted in me years ago when studying and then leaving Goshen College would ever bring me full circle back to the garden spot, to this particular garden spot of life and learning. Certainly not as president. What a glorious eight months this has been for me. The plotted life, as plots often do, thickens over time. Each of us have plotted our seeds, made plans, studied hard, perhaps absorbed by the implausible notion that there might yet be another spring in which we see the outcome of our plotting. We had no guarantees that we would be around until now to see spring again. Bluffton University brothers on a bus remind us of that fact. Those who have died in war this year of our age and younger, other loved ones that have passed on since plotting their lives like old Catherine White did, haven't lived to see this spring. So it was a bit implausible, perhaps, as we plot our lives out as to whether we indeed will see the results of those seeds planted. We did know whether graduation 
would actually come one day. We didn't know that for sure. But here it is, just around the corner for some of you. And yet, we sat there with our detailed chart under the dark skies in the October's past, calmly plotting our futures, plotting the resurrection. And Easter argues that's how it should be for all of us. Indeed, God in Christ, the gardener at the empty tomb, has been plotting such resurrection for each one of us for a long, long, long time, whatever our situation is this morning. October's dark days are done for now, or we kind of think they are. Spring has more or less arrived. My prayer for each of you is that as you leave Goshen College for the summer and or for life, that you may trip across the garden of your existence and experience the epiphany of resurrection personally and profoundly. And I say to you with all joy, go from here and plot your futures with confidence because Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. But before you go and plot those futures, I want to leave you with um, an announcement that I'd like to make before you leave this morning. I'm not announcing that finals have been um, canceled. I'm not announcing that Goshen College is starting a winter SST program in the Cancun. And uh, no, we didn't get more money from Lily. And I'm sorry, but I can't do anything about today's lunch special either. Actually, I have a declaration to make. And so I hereby, in this hour and this time, declare that this coming Thursday, April 12, 2007, will be Shorts Day at Goshen College. So you might ask, what is Shorts Day? Well, on, if you'll remember, on January 24th, we gathered on this campus community at the Delphian Fountain, some of us, to celebrate Weather or Not Day. And we enjoyed music, a scientific demonstration, poetry by some of you, speeches, ice cream, and some cold weather. Well, at that time, I promised at an appropriate date I would declare Shorts Day, which would signify the end of winter, we hope, and start of warmer weather. Well, I'm announcing it, come uh, spring or not, this Thursday, rain or shine, wind or snow, we're going to celebrate it. And I invite you to join me and others at the Adelphian Fountain at 12.30 p.m. Thursday and um, come wearing your shorts. I'm hoping to, well, I will be, I promise, wearing my shorts. <laughs> um, we'll have ice cream, free drawings for hats and water bottles, sunscreen, you name it. So be there. I think Professor Paul Keim has a song up his shorts, as they say. <laughs> and uh, I also heard that Vice President Jim um, Histon and Will Jones promised to bear all for us. I don't know what that means. But whatever that means, just come wearing your shorts. And um, I hope to see you there, Thursday, 1230. Thanks for coming. This morning. <laughs>